This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, I have two beloved guests. One has been on Dreamland more than once, Leslie Kane, and the other, Stuart Alexander, was on Dreamland on January the 20th of 2021, talking about his book, An Extraordinary Journey. Uh, now, why are they back now? Well, uh, Stuart is a physical medium. Leslie is, among many other things, one of the world's leading authorities on physical mediumship. She has been, yes, yes, Leslie, it's true. Uh, and she has been participating in Stuart's seance for years. But why now? Well, the reason is I went to Stuart's seance in Hull in Northern England three weeks ago now, I believe it is. I participated in the, in the seance. Leslie was there via Zoom on an iPad. And I had in that seance quite possibly one of the most, in fact, one of, it's not quite possibly, it is one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. And as you listeners know, viewers know, I've had a few of those in my life. Now, what exactly happened? Well, I'm going to start out by uh, telling you exactly what happened. And for that few minutes, I'm going to uh, be solo, I think. It'll just be me on the screen for the next few minutes. And I'm going to... Uh, talk a little bit about exactly what I experienced. The lighting is slightly different now because I'm recording this at a different time than I recorded the interview with Stuart and Leslie. Let me describe the in detail the experiences I had at Stuart's seance. And we're doing this in the beginning of the show rather than sort of teasing it toward the end, which would be the logical way to do it. Because many people find uh, uh, physical mediumship unconvincing, and there have been many frauds in the world. Now, I have experienced this personally with Stuart Alexander. I'm not saying that all physical mediums are reliable, but I am saying that I know that he is, and that what I am about to tell you, which is quite fantastic, really happened. And not only that, in this seance, it happens all the time. Well, what is physical mediumship? Physical mediumship involves, to put it very simply, the manipulation of physical objects and the appearance of physical effects in a seance. That is a physical, a physical mediumship. And that's what Stuart does. He is a physical medium. He causes manifestations. And you shall, you shall hear in a moment how extraordinary that actually is. Now, mediumship has a bad reputation, 
largely because there are so many people out there faking it. They can fake it so easily because it's done in total darkness. And for the most part, Stuart's actually unusual in that he, uh, uh, some of his seance is in a dim red light. So you actually can see a good bit of this with the naked eye, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, some other mediums do it this way, I'm sure too, but this is, I'm told, not the usual system. Much of the seance was in darkness though. Now, uh, Stuart doesn't charge for his home group, uh, and it's not public either. You, in other words, you can't just go to it. They only have room for one or two people in each home group seance. So, you know, it, it was a lucky thing that uh, I, I was invited and I went with a friend from Sussex who's also quite interested in this. Um, now, the, the, he has public seances, which he charges a modest sum of money for. And if you go on stewardalexandermedium.co.uk, you can find out about these. I think he has an email list and he'll send you an email telling you when and where, when one of these is taking place. Unlike many mediums, though, this is not a business for Stuart. Uh, what he charges is largely to defray his expenses for the public seances. Um, he's not in it for the money. That is very clear when you meet him. So there's that. Now, what actually happened? Well, we went up to Hull from London in a, on the train, and which he lives in Hull, and that's where the seances are, the private seances. And we met his group of people, his friends, who have been in the seance, many of them, for many, many, many years. It's been going on for 40 years. Uh, and we had dinner together. They're very pleasant, normal people. There was nothing unusual about any of them. You wouldn't have thought that you were getting ready to go to one of the most extraordinary experiences of your life with this group of people. Let me put it that way. They were just like you and me. Now, uh, when we first started, this let me set the scene. The seance room is pretty small, and so it was fairly crowded. Stuart was in a chair at one end of the room. This was an armchair with wooden arms and a padded seat and back. I examined this chair carefully. It was an ordinary chair. There were no switches, breakaways, anything at all in it. It was absolutely ordinary. There was a table in the middle of the room. On the table were two drumsticks and a bell and a couple of additional cable ties. Now, Stuart sat down in his chair and he was tied down with a pair of plastic cable ties of the kind that you see in the movies and sometimes on the news when the cops are leading someone who's been handcuffed with cable ties. And they're very strong and you can't release them except by cutting them. Very important part of the story. All right, so there was a person sitting, Stuart was at the head, there was a person sitting beside me, then I was sitting there, and my friend from Sussex was sitting on my right. And then the other members of the circle were arrayed around the circle. Stuart was strapped down in front 
And with the cable ties, I saw it done. It was totally normal. There's nothing unusual about it. He was then, um, there were, was glowing tape taped to his cuffs so that if he moved his legs, that could be seen. Also on the floor in front of him were two spirit trumpets, which will play an important role in this conversation in just a minute. <clears throat> These spirit trumpets are a traditional seance implement that in some say have a little nipple at one end and at the other, and then they open out in a conical form. And his are made of a lightweight metal. And around their bases, there was more glowing tape, so you could see them in the dark. Now, uh, in some seances, this has very rarely happened in Stuart's, but in some seances, a voice will whisper through the, the spirit trumpet. That is not what happens in, seance, in Stuart's seances for the most part. I'll tell you in a minute what happens in his seances with these things, because I witnessed this. All right. Uh, now, the first event that occurred was music is played. This is the same music that's been played to trigger Stuart's trances for a long, long time. And it immediately, at this point, as soon as he hears it, he goes into trance. And he went into trance and he made a, a gulping sound, which it was now oh, absolutely dark. Uh, he was strapped to the, to the chair. He, I could, interestingly enough, I could still see. I, I, I have pretty good night vision. I always have had. And even though it was completely dark, I, I could see uh, Stuart's outline. I could see the glow tape on the spirit trumpets and on his legs. And I could see the white of the ties on his arms quite clearly. So I could see some things. And first, a uh, uh, a spirit who then these spirits are all completely familiar to these people. They come to every seance that where they show up at all. These are the ones who show up. It's called White Feather, and you can find out more about uh, these spirits or about White Feather on Stewart's website on uh, StuartAlexanderMedium.co.uk, and. Also in his wonderful book, Extraordinary Journey, don't miss Extraordinary Journey, please. It's a great book, a wonderful introduction to mediumship and to the life of a very quietly but profoundly extraordinary man. Now, we are sitting here. White Feather comes and greets us. Then there's more gulping and another voice shows up. And these, these voices were not like normal channel voices. These were really different from each other and from Stuart's voice. I mean, very different. It was shocking, in fact, um, to me. This is Walter Stinson. Walter comes and uh, to most of them, they all come to most of them. And Walter Stinson proceeds to ask that my guest, my friend from Sussex, change places with the person immediately beside Stuart and put her hand on his wrist above the, the uh, cable tie, which she does. A moment later, I, I saw it. It looked to me, and now you understand, I could barely see this. 
I could tell that Stuart's hand had shot up in the air, and it looked to me as if her hand had stayed on the table. She perceived it differently. She perceived her hand go up with his and then end up on the table. I mean, on the chair arm, not the table, on the chair arm. And she could feel the cable tie still uncut beneath her hand around now just the chair arm and not Stuart's arm. This matter-through-matter matter experiment, as they call it, has happened in that seance many times. It has never been debunked. Then, and she says she's not sure quite how it happened, the cable tie was in her hand, still tied. It had gone off. Stuart's arm, wrist had gone, had gone through it. It had come off the arm of the chair. A chair arm, I knew this was part of the seance. I had examined this chair arm very carefully. It was not, there was no breakaway in it at all. It was ordinary. But now it was in her hand anyway. So she had it. She still does, in fact. It's a souvenir. Stuart put his arms back down on the table, and we soon heard a sound on the uh, uh, on the chair, and we soon heard a sound on the table. A little, I heard a little scraping sort of a sound. And it was, um, next thing I knew, I could once again just make out the cable tie tied around Stuart's arm, and I had heard it click. In other words, on its own, the cable tie had moved off the table and gone around his arm. Now, you're, I'm probably saying, like I said at the time, this must be some kind of a magic trick. But if it is, it has got to be the best single magic trick I've ever witnessed, except I was about to witness another one even more extraordinary. So now Stuart is uh, uh, back tied to the table, and I have also noticed something in the room that nobody else noticed, which was I could see these white shadows moving around. And uh, I don't know if it was my eyes or exactly what it was, but they're not part of the seance as far as I can tell. And I don't recall anyone else. Stuart doesn't recall anyone else seeing them, so I'm just going to mention their existence without uh, going into... Um, uh, any detail because I don't know what they were. Stuart, um, then it was still, it was Walter Stinson still talking through Stuart's voice, said to separate the two trumpets. And they separated the two spirit trumpets. A moment later, the one that's closest to me went up in the air. <laughs> And it didn't float or dangle. It shot up like, like a UFO. When you see a UFO, they're not, they're not flying. In other words, they just move like this. This thing did it that way. It just went up and stopped dead. Dead. Then it went around the room at eye level once or twice. And while that was happening, I was thinking to myself, this has got to be some kind of a trick. Even though 
I had examined all of this stuff. There were no wires. There was nothing on the spirit trumpet that had ever been attached to that nipple. I looked for that or inside it. None of that. And it can't be done with magnetic fields. Not what I was seeing. It's quite impossible. It is it would be uncontrollable. This kind of detailed control would not be possible. There were obviously no propellers or anything like that either. The next thing that happened was, as if responding to my skepticism, the spirit trumpet stopped in front of my face this far away. I mean, just right in front of my face. And not only that, it touched my nose and rubbed my nose, up, went up and down, rubbing my nose as if rubbing my nose in my own skepticism. It was completely incredible, deeply humorous, and wonderful. Because there's no way it could have been done by a magic trick. This was no trick. I then said to for the spirit trumpet to go to my friend. And it went across to her, went up and down in front of her face. Then it went up to the ceiling, which was at least a 10-foot ceiling and could be a 12, and shot around the room at ceiling level fast. And then it went, came down and went back where it had started. <laughs> I'm telling you, I saw this. I, li I literally witnessed this. And you could see it. It was very dark at this point, but you could see it because of the glow tape on it. You could see it clearly and hear it too. I mean, it was not silent. It was, I mean, it wasn't making a buzzing, but you could hear it when it touched walls and things. And, you know, you could definitely, it was there, definitely there. Uh, so, okay, so now we've had two... Uh, spirits talk. We've witnessed an impossible matter through matter thing. And this spirit trumpet has flown around the room and rubbed my nose in my own skepticism. Well, I was taken aback. The next thing that happened involved a very surprising business. Occasionally in the past, Stuart has had a situation where the face of a dead person will appear in front of his face. And now they turned on a, uh, a dim red light and asked my friend from Sussex to sit beside Stuart. They, he attempted to, or the spirits, I guess, attempted to form a face, but she did not see it. Then they asked me to sit there. And I'm wondering, what in the world can this be? I'm pretty taken aback at this point, I have to admit. And I don't know what to, in the world to expect. But I've been feeling Anne's presence the whole time. And th so I thought, I know there's something real going on here that's not supposed to be possible. So maybe part of that reality is I will see Anne again. And I, I was hoping that would happen and expecting it to, frankly. And then 
I leaned forward, and suddenly there was not Anne's face. It was my mother's face, with this look of strain on it. It was completely vivid. It was like a 3D image, like a person sitting there for us, maybe three seconds. And very strained. And I thought, oh, my God, it's my mama, and she's in some kind of trouble. It was absolutely terrifying. And then gone. And then the next thing I knew, to Stuart's left, well to his left, I could hear Anne's voice as clear as day making noises and attempting to to speak like that. And then it ended. Now, no one in that room could have known what my mother looked like when she was in her 30s. Or any time, if there are pictures of her on the internet, I can't find them. There, there might be if someone really, really digs, but I don't think so. So I was taken aback and also very disturbed. But then something happened. Uh, Walter said that Anne and my mother were together, and this was very important to me because they hadn't gotten along very well during either of their lifetimes. My mother didn't like the women that men that she loved also loved. She didn't like any of her brother's wives and she didn't like Anne. It was just my mother's nature. She, she was very, very much in love with all of the men in her life. And that included her brothers and, uh, and, and her sons. So, uh, Stuart thought afterwards that perhaps my mother was straining because it takes such concentration for them to do that. And Anne couldn't form words because she hadn't uh, uh, ever done that before. Interestingly enough, the one spirit that can speak outside of Stuart's mouth, in other words, not in his, and Anne's voice was not coming from Stuart at all is a spirit called Dr. Barrett, who we didn't see. And we'll talk about Dr. Barrett during the, uh, during the conversation with Leslie and Stuart. Now, this is all, uh, pretty much all that happened. So, it, it, there were a few other spirits that appeared of uh, one called Freda Johnson and a little child, but they, they, I don't recall that they did involved any kind of anything beyond speaking through Stuart. Not to say that wasn't important. It was, and it was very remarkable. But to me, the cable ties and the spirit trumpet were just amazing. And what happened with my mother was deeply surprising and shocking and in the end quite wonderful because I also got to hear Annie again. And it was so distinctive. It was just as her voice sounded so long ago, it seems now. It's hard to believe the many years that have passed. In any case, I just want to repeat now, Stuart's book is Extraordinary Journey. 
You can get it through our website or on Amazon or wherever you shop for books. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com. There's no place like it in the world. All right. Now you're back, my friends, who have really surprised the dickens out of me. Um, um, so I'm going to ask them more about this. First, Stuart, if you could briefly introduce yourself. And if, folks, if you're a subscriber and you would like to listen to Stuart's backstory, as it will were, the story of his uh, life and how he became a medium, please do so on the uh, uh, Extraordinary Journey uh, podcast of January the 8th of 2021. But if you're not a subscriber, I would like to, Stuart, to just tell us very briefly, uh, how long have you been doing your seance? Well, the actual seances <clears throat> as such we formed our present circle uh i think it was about 42 years ago 43 uh, years yeah 42 43 years something like that and <clears throat> we have sat weekly for 42 years until covid came along and then obviously three years ago we had to stop sitting because of covid and naturally we've all missed it terribly not only you know uh the group of people that together week after week after week you know we're almost like family not only that but also the spiritual team we miss them tremendously as you can imagine because they are very very much a part of our lives uh and so when finally we were able to start again to sit together which is now uh several months ago it was just such a joy to be together you know as a circle and also to reconnect with our spiritual team well so I that, can, that, sorry i can imagine i um after all of those years uh, of suddenly having to stop would have been very hard now leslie when did your your association with Stuart begin? Because we haven't ever talked. You and I have talked about other things on this show, but not about Stuart. Yeah, I mean, I think it was 2014 that I, so I was, it was when I was working on my book, Surviving Death, that I discovered an earlier version of Stuart's memoir. It's since been revised, Extraordinary Journey. And I just was so impressed by that book and so moved by it for so many reasons, which I, I won't go into now, but I, I, I managed to get in touch with Stuart and 
after that, um, I think it was the spring of maybe 2015, I went over and went to a, a weekend event that Stuart, these annual events, the biannual events that Stuart used to hold. They're kind of like retreats where people gather together and there's talks and sittings and things. I went to that and then I went back to the home and sat with the home circle twice in that week. And like you, Whitley, it was completely life-changing for me. I mean, incredibly so. And there were more phenomena that occurred than you actually witnessed because they hadn't had this long break of two years. So there were there were a lot of things that occurred in those two sittings. Right. And I, um, I want to talk about some of those phenomena that you've seen because they're brain bending. I mean, you know, from my perspective now, I know this is real. I have been I've been there and done that. And I I, I know a fair amount about magic. I have to tell you, I've been involved in. I've, I've had friends who were actual stage magicians and this was not stage magic. It was absolutely was not. Now, Stuart, apropos of that, I want one of the things that if I read the comments on the last show we did uh, that comes up is the, the question of why does it have to be so dark? One, one person even says, well, the spirits wouldn't need it to be dark. It's obviously to fake it. So why does it need to be dark? Well, can I say first of all, Whitley, that it never ceases to surprise me that skeptics and critics are so knowledgeable, you know, that they can, you know, point a finger at the fact it occurs in darkness. There is a very good reason why it occurs in darkness, a very good reason. And obviously, you know, I'm the very first to uh, to agree that a fraudulent medium, I mean, it's heaven sent, isn't it, to be able to work within the dark. They can get all up to all types of things in the dark. And that has been done very often. Uh, it has indeed. It has indeed. So I'm the very first to agree that, yes, fraudulent mediumship, you know, uh, it's wonderful that you know darkness is essential because that allows them to be able to act fraudulently but the reason why it is conducted in the dark at the seances is because in order for the spirit world to manifest in a physical manner they need to withdraw from the medium from the nose from the mouth from the solar plexus etc this living energy, which is often referred to as ectoplasm. Now, I believe that everyone, everyone, all living creatures have within them this substance, ectoplasm. But a physical medium just happens to have an abundance of it that can be utilized, can be withdrawn by the spirit world, and can be used in order to create physical manifestations. Now, when it leaves the medium, when it's withdrawn from the medium, this is what I understand, Whitley. As it leaves the medium, it's almost smoke-like in appearance, you know? But very quickly, that can be changed to something very substantial, very substantial. And it is the ectoplasm that is used in order to manipulate uh, matter, physical matter, in order to uh, move the trumpets around the room, in order to materialise themselves the spirit people materializing themselves i'm sure will tell us about this um all kinds of physical manifestations rest and depend upon this living energy ectoplasm and what we do know 
is that the introduction of any form of light without permission of the spirit workers can create um, great problems for the medium. It can be very, very dangerous for the health and the welfare of the medium. And in fact, it's on record that various physical mediums in the past where lights have been introduced have suffered the consequences to their health. You know, uh, one medium in particular <clears throat> um, died sometime after light was introduced within her seance room. Another medium who had worked for oh, 50 years was one of the most wonderful physical mediums in history. Somebody shone light within the seance room and he paid the ultimate price and he was never able to work again in as a physical medium you know oh my god was, yes it was terrible terrible so it's always a big concern for any genuine physical medium that somebody may come along and start you know with the intention of shining lights etc in order to as they think to expose the medium in fraud you're right um leslie uh, I would like to talk to you a little bit about ectoplasm. I know you've made quite an extensive study of it. Uh, what is it? It's been, it's, ectoplasm has been gathered and analyzed, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I haven't made that much of a study, but uh, I have read that when they, so first of all, ectoplasm is basically an energy. So if you try to put it in a container, there's not going to be anything there by the time you put the lights on. But they have, they have been, as I understand it, Stuart, and Stuart is an expert on physical mediumship, by the way. He's not just a physical medium. He's a scholar of physical mediumship, more than I am. But let me just say that, and if, do you hear a loud noise in the background? I hope not. There's, a, there's workers outside my place that are making a lot of noise. It's faint. It I don't think it'll bother us. So go ahead. Okay. So when there have been situations where they have tried to put ectoplasm in a container, when they take it into the lab, what they've found is the, the epithelia, the skin's uh, cells of the medium himself or herself, because it's exuded from the human body. So all that's going to remain are the cells of the body from which it came. The energy that it is, is going to evaporate. It's not like you can put energy in a bottle and then take it to a lab. So, but it does show us that indeed it's something that comes out of the body of the medium. So it's, it's, it's not exactly, you can study it more through photography, through observing it. There's lots of photographs that have been taken of it in, in the days gone by. Every situation is different. Some mediums are safe with photographs, some aren't. You know, every situation is so unique. So the other thing I just want to make about the point of darkness though, is that whenever the spirit team with Stuart can introduce light they do whenever it's safe for for stewart and the spirit team are in charge of calling whether that safety of, of determining the safety stewart is basically putting his life in their hands and for some experiments it is okay to put some light on and they do and one of them was one of the ones you witnessed whitley when there was some light on stewart's face another one is the experiment where where walter materializes his hand in ectoplasm which has been observed by many people, including myself, yeah, many we're times. To, we're going to experiment. Talk. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I just wanted to mention that there's. We're going to talk about it. But you've you've yeah. gotten to a point where I wasn't sure I wanted to go, but I am going to go to go here. <laughs> I'm going to tell about 
what happened when the light was turned on. It's a dim light. And I was asked to sit close to Stuart. Um, I, I was asked to sit close to him. And I believe my friend from Sussex had, had done it a moment before and didn't see anything. But the, there was, and I'm going to ask you in a moment about how this is, Stuart. Uh, there was a going to be an attempt to materialize the face of someone who I knew from the other side. And of course, I thought, oh, Anne, how fascinating. And I leaned forward. And to my great shock, I'm still just talking about it. It comes back immediately. I saw not Anne. But my mother, with her face sort of crunched up like this, clear as day for a couple of seconds. And uh, I'm telling you, I was shocked to my core and for two reasons. One is I didn't expect it. And two is that there are no pictures of my mother. There may be, you can, if you really dig into the internet, you probably can find one. But it was mother as she looked when I was a boy. And it was a extremely moving. As I say, the shock just went down to my core. And it wasn't your face at all, Stuart. Not at all. And um, th then the next thing I knew, I could hear clearly to your left, Anne's voice, Anne's voice, going, <laughs> trying to form words. And then it ended. It ended. And I was told that they were together. It was very important to me to hear that because they were not together during this life. Mother detested the wives and lovers of all men that she loved. She detested both of her brother's wives and she detested Anne. And she detested my, the girlfriends I'd had before that too. And that was just mother's nature. So the idea that they were together and especially Anne, such an orphan in this world, she really had me and and our family, that was Anne's family. She didn't have a family of her own. And it was such a joy to hear that they were together because, you know, Anne has somebody on the other side too now. So this is all incredibly moving to me. And Stuart, will you tell me, you don't perceive anything. You don't have any memory of any of this even, do you? Or do you? No, absolutely no memory whatsoever because I'm always in a deep state of what's referred to as trance. Uh, <clears throat> what I can say to you, uh, Whitley, is that in seeing your mother, what actually happens is that the ectoplasm is withdrawn and then uh, it's referred to as transfiguration, where a spirit person is able to show their face. 
which would have been in front of my own. It was you in see? front of your face. It wasn't, it wasn't superimposed on it. It was in front of it. About It looked up about this far away. Yes, yes. But you know, the thing that occurs to me as you're talking about that, Whitley, is the fact that no matter how you try, how we all try, who have had experiences within the seance room, such as what you've described, you know, you can tell other people about it, but unless they've actually been there and experienced it themselves, then they can't really fully know what it's like, can they? You know, they can find it interesting, but the skeptics will say, well, you, you saw what you wanted to see. That's what they will say, you know? You know. Well, I didn't for... think I was going to see my mother at all. I, it didn't even no. occur to me. It wasn't. No, she was not in my mind. I was expecting to see Anne. Yes, absolutely. This is what I'm saying, you know. So, to me, you know, but you see all of these manifestations, physical manifestations within the seance room, yes, they are important. I do believe that 100%. But evidence of survival communicated evidence is so vitally important and if we can take the evidential communications and place them together with the physical manifestations well that presents a very very strong argument in favor of survival and communication that's always been my belief evidence is so important you know but i'm so pleased Whitley, that you had that experience and, and was able to see your mother i mean Transfiguration is something that has not really been a, a part or a regular part of my mediumship for years. I think it's only ever happened on perhaps three or four or five occasions. That's all. So there was nobody more surprised than me when after the seance she was able to tell me yes. that your mother would transfigure that. Wonderful. And you told me after the seance too that I was very disturbed by her expression because she was mm, struggling. And I thought, oh, God, is she in trouble? And um, because, you know, we had a hard, we had a very wonderful but very complex relationship, and it wasn't perfect. I mean, it's a human relationship. If it was perfect, it wouldn't have been one, right? So, uh, but tell me what you told me then. Tell us what you told me then about why she had that expression on her face. Well, I would imagine, <clears throat> and of course, this is just supposition really on my part, but I would imagine that for a spiritual person or a, a person from the next world to show themselves in that manner, we can only assume that it cannot be easy for them to yes. do that. You know, and I imagine that she puts so much effort into showing herself, and that, that would describe, explain why, you know, yeah, she she looked as she did, and that because was that that was ex the second you said that I realized that that was what mother looked like when she was doing, you know, something really hard. Uh, yes. You know, she had that 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 was the expression of strain. You know, when she was lifting something or something like that, and then yeah. Anne's voice never formed words, and you you, you explain explain why she couldn't quite form words, but it was so clearly her voice and. Anyone who listens to these shows and who you go to uh, the Mysterious Powers episodes that are still on the site, if you're a subscriber, you can hear Anne's voice. And that's exactly the voice I heard. It was a very distinctive voice. 
And and Anne is your wife, isn't she? My wife, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. Yes, yeah. Well, again, I imagine that for a spiritual person, a visitor from the next world, to actually speak, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that may be. One of our regular communicators for many years now, Frida Johnson. Now, Frida, when she first began to manifest and speak, she had terrible problems and it took a long, long time, practice, 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 before eventually, you know, she was able to speak as she speaks today. So it's not easy. That's what we take as being the reality. It is not easy for them. So I think the fact she was able to speak at all to you, what does that say? It says that there must be tremendous effort on their part to, to get through to you. Yeah. And that's wonderful, wonderful. She's she's very good at, at doing this. She's the only person I know of who created an avatar for herself in this world before she died. It's a white moth, and folks will be talking in the next week or so to someone who's had extensive experiences with her husband and with me uh, yeah. that are involved with Anne and the white moth. Now, Leslie, can you tell us a little bit about, you, you said something fascinating to me after the seance about the need to, to form a, a voice box, a vocal, vocal cords using ectoplasm. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, wh what that means for the for them to talk not using Stuart's vocal cords, but in in another way? And does that happen? Have you heard it? Yeah, there is one uh, spirit person named Dr. Barnett who only communicates that way. He never speaks through Stuart's vocal cords like Walter and Christopher and Frida do. But he will form a, a, take the ectoplasm and form a, a voice box off to Stuart's side somewhere and speak through that. And you, when you hear the voice, it has a very different quality because it's basically speaking in a different location from Stuart. It tends to be quieter than the ones that speak through him, but very distinctly Dr. Barnett. He, and his voice is extremely recognizable. But the interesting thing is, is that's the only way he ever communicates. Um, and there are times when I've been in seances where actually Stuart has woken up during the moments where Dr. Barnett is speaking and they will speak right one after the other or even at the same time. So you can clearly hear that Stuart's voice is separate in a separate location from Dr. Barnett's voice. You know, that's fascinating because it occurs to me, you say Dr. Barnett, was he a medical doctor? Yeah, he actually does a lot of healing in Stuart's seance room. That's that's what he, he comes in to and do. And of course, a as a medical doctor, he would understand anatomy. Therefore, it makes sense that he's the one who can become most physical and can make a thing like a voice box out of ectoplasm. <laughs> He's also the one who materializes in the room. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. I, I, I would love to see that someday. And uh, of course, anyone would. Uh, Stuart, tell me, and then I'm going to ask Leslie for her face-to-face -face experiences with Dr. Barnett. So prepare to just take your socks off now they're going to drop off later. All right. Now, before we go on, I have to remember to do a break. And so uh, I'm going to do 
a break right now, folks, for the Free Dreamlanders. And do get Stuart's book, An Extraordinary Journey. I think you can get it through the website. And if not, go on Amazon or wherever you buy books and get it and read it. Because this is a real thing. This isn't, this is something that we have, we've gone blind to what we really are. And people like Stuart and Leslie and Stuart's book and Leslie's book help us. And my book too, I actually, Anne and I wrote a book, Afterlife Revolution as well. They help us break through that blindness and begin to really see the world as it is in all of its wonder, its excellence, and its potential. We'll be right back. There's a new world coming if we can take it. What does that mean? The first part of the message is if we can take it for ourselves on our own terms. The second part of the message is, can we bear the newness and the huge expansion of human consciousness that is going to be involved? Can we take it? A new world. It doesn't mince words. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly like it is. And it leaves a message behind. Can you do this? Do you want to? Do we have an alternative? Right now, at this point in history, mankind is either going to get a lot bigger or not. I choose to go forward. I choose to live for and in the future. I choose the future a new world. We can take it. Available in hardcover, softcover, audiobook, and Kindle. We're back with Stuart Alexander and Leslie Kane, uh, An Extraordinary Journey, and we're certainly on one today. Uh, now, we were beginning to talk about Dr. Barrett, who manifests physically in the seance room. Do you, and Leslie mentioned uh, that you sometimes wake up, Stuart, during his manifestations. Can you tell us a little bit about Dr. Barrett and your relationship with him? Well, Dr. Barnett has- um, Barnett, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Uh, it's probably now been a part of what we refer to as the spiritual team for maybe 25 years, I would think, you know, at least 25 years. For me, for me personally, one of the most wonderful things in regard to Dr. Barnett is the fact that from time to time, he does perform healing. Uh, and we've had some absolutely extraordinary results. Well, Dr. Barnett has had some extraordinary results. Interestingly, uh, there are occasions when he cannot help people with health conditions. Now, don't ask me why, because I have no more idea than what anyone else would have. But sometimes uh, it's it's extraordinary, 
you know, the healings that he does perform. Um, but, you know, I've never personally uh, sort of witnessed Dr. Barnett materializing. I have sometimes felt his hands on my head, and that's happened. Uh, and, and very often, I think Leslie will know this better than I do, actually. Very often when Dr. Barnett materializes and walks out into the seance room, he usually has uh, someone working with him, a spirit, another spirit person. And people at different parts of the circle will feel hands on their head, big hands, small hands, you know, which is quite extraordinary. So I'll let the skeptics explain that. So, you know, a hand touched my head. I just, you just reminded me that of that. While the trumpet, just after the trumpet had gone around the room, a hand went like that. Wow. I, yeah. I, so, yeah. Now, Leslie, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences with the good doctor? Yeah, I mean, as so he does speak in independent voice a lot, but we're talking now about materializations which don't happen that often, but when they do, it's beyond spectacular. And that's what I, I want to hear about. Yeah, the last time it happened with me there, it was I think pretty close to when, you know, a couple of years ago before COVID. Um, and what happens is uh, Stuart has something called a cabinet in his seance room, which is just basically a curtain that can be closed around, can be enclosed around his chair, which normally is just opened. But when there's going to be materialization, the curtain gets closed because the energy needs to build up inside the cabinet for the for Dr. Barnett to get the energy he needs to come out. So the first thing that happens is the curtain is closed and there are there are ta um, luminous tats on, yeah, on, the, on the curtain. So when you're sitting there and suddenly you, you see the curtain open by itself basically uh, with because you see the luminous tabs on the edge move open. And then yeah, uh, the last Stuart is tied down. He, oh, he's in his chair inside the cabinet, completely tied, immovable. And you can see the illuminated tabs on Stuart's knees. So Stuart, you can see, clearly see that he's sitting there in the cabinet while all this is happening. Um, and there's just a small group of people who have been with him forever. I mean, the, the idea of anything, trickery, any trickery is just beyond my, is just beyond ridiculous at this point, because I've sat with him for so long. Um, but anyway, you, you, you'll hear the footsteps. I think he he makes a point of creating the sound of footsteps when he walks out, so people can tell where he is in the room. And as Stuart said, there are sometimes these helpers, and they're they're usually children that come out even before him. There was one time where there were like three or four of them that came out, and people would say, "I feel a child's hands on me," and they would be around the room kind of before Dr. Barnett would come out, and they're always really small. But then he comes out and he walked around the circle. And in this occasion, he hears footsteps. He came around to where I was sitting and stopped right in front of me and put his, he has very large hands by contrast to his helpers. He put them both on top of my head like this. And then he was going, he was like bang, he was like patting my head like this upside down with his two big hands, like really, really this sort of very strange kind of patting motion like this. And I could hear him talking right in front of me. And the voice was totally the same voice that I knew from the times he had spoken in independent voice. But it was certainly Dr. Brennan. He was totally recognizable. But I could feel those hands on my on my head. And um, he said, he said, I just wanted to show you that I'm a solid human being, um, which was just 
it's, it's like you're in this state of transformed disbelief, belief. It's, I, it's very hard. It's indescribable what it feels I, like. I know the state. This. I've been in it too. You do, but you know how hard it is to describe also. Yeah. To have yeah. this, you walk out of the room who wasn't there, who didn't exist in physical form a few minutes earlier, and he's physical, and right in front of me, feeling his hands, hearing now, his voice. Could you see his whole body? No, this is in the dark. Oh. This is absolutely. Because ectoplasm is what he uses to materialize, it has to be in the dark. It's very, very important. That, that would be one of the more riskier things to put light on, would be a full body materialization. Because of the energy required and the amount of ectoplasm required to form his body, right? So it's absolutely in the dark. So you can't, and you can't reach out your hands and touch him either. You sit there and he touches you because there's a danger if you were to mess with the ectoplasm. You just don't do that. But what, what you can would hear happen? Us. Stuart, let me ask you this. Do you know what would happen if somebody did fool with the ectoplasm? Yes, I think um, from, I ought to say, Whitley, that, you know, I've not just worked as a medium for all of these years, but I've also, for over half a century, I've studied in depth physical mediumship, the history of spiritualism, the history of psychical research, etc. etc. Yes. And what I do know, and I know this from history, from what I've learned, that if uh, somebody, you see, if the spirit world gives permission for light to be introduced, that's fine. You know, we always take our lead from the spirit world. Whatever the spirit world asks us to do, we do. Now, if somebody was to foolishly switch on a light or anything like that, whilst the materialized form, whilst any physical manifestation is occurring, then instantly the ectoplasm would return to me very, very quickly, and that would co cause irreparable damage to my health. You know, and as I said earlier on, there have been cases in the past where mediums have paid the ultimate price because that is precisely right. what happened, you know? Have the spirits ever given permission for there to be light in your room? You're saying oh, they do. From, I either do from time to time. I'm correct, Leslie, in saying that. Have you yeah, ever... yeah. I said earlier, Whitley, they do for certain things, like they do put low light on sometimes. Yeah, well, they did when I was there, is what I was saying, because it was they, yeah. they turned on a red light, and it was low, but it was very easy to see everything when that light was on. And yeah. that's yeah, so, why I could see my mother's face. Right. Yeah. So for the hand material, so this is, we're talking about a whole person materializing when Dr. Barnett does this, but something that happens a lot is the materialization of just a hand. And that is in the light in Stuart's seance room. Yeah. You can actually see it as well as touch it. Well, we're gonna get to that in just a moment, folks. Uh, Free Dreamlanders enjoy these commercials. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment 
that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago, Whitley Strieber Audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations, but more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. We're talking to Leslie Kane and Stuart Alexander. Stuart's book, An Extraordinary Journey, uh, The Life of a Physical Medium. Uh, it, my relationship with Stuart and Leslie also, who brought me into this relationship in the first place, has changed my life because I have personally witnessed this. I've seen it. I've seen the miracle that unfolds in that seance room. And I've had experiences there that I'll never forget as long as I live. And the way we're beginning to understand the world, I probably won't have forgotten them even after I've, I'm dead. So uh, let's now, um, we've been talking about Dr. Barnett and his materializations. And I, 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 also there's a matter of a hand that hasn't been explained very clearly that's incredibly extraordinary. And there's a lot of physical evidence. I don't, I think we should begin with you, Leslie, in, in talking about this, the hand and how this all works. Okay, so what happened? many times and i've touched that hand many times i can't even count how many and i've watched other people experience it as well okay well tell, tell us a little bit let's go back a step the hand how does it come into the room what happens exactly well i'll explain that there's a, a table that's in front of stewart's chair and i remember whitley you saw the table that oh, has sure the, i the saw hand. everything on the table and oh, yeah so that table is cleared off and there's a red light underneath that table. It has a red cloth over it. So this light is put on underneath the table that shines up through the table so that the table's illuminated. And what happens is ectoplasm is, is I assume it's coming from Stuart's abdomen, but what you see when you're looking at the table is the edge that's facing Stuart. You're on the, and so the sitter is on the opposite side of the table from Stuart. So the table's in between the two 
let's say in between me and Stuart. And I will see this cloud of ectoplasm come over the edge of the table that's close to Stuart, and it just gradually comes closer and closer to me. It almost looks like water. It's just this moving substance that you see silhouetted against the light of the table. And out of that silhouetted moving substance, you gradually will see that the formation of, of what looked like fingers, it just sort of gradually you see these digits kind of form from there. And then there's a moment where the hand, where you see this thing lift up out of the, um, lift up from that substance. I'm trying to get myself on the camera, my hand on the camera. But it lifts up and it's, it's three-dimensional, it's physical. It just, this moment, we're right out of the ectoplasm, it'll lift up and then it bangs on the table. And the reason it does that is you can hear it and you know that this is a physical hand. You've watched it emerge out of this substance. Then, and it's Walter Stinson who's doing this and he talks you through it. He then retracts the hand and comes back and you see the whole thing again. This cloud comes over the side of the table. It's moving around. You see this hand gradually form out of it. You see it lift up and become physical. And at that time, he then tells me that I can put my hand on the other side of the table and that I can touch his hand. And so I do that and I hold his hand like this and I, I'm like feeling it and you know, for a minute or so. And I can describe what that feels like, but just to finish what happens, um, and then he, re he retracts his hand and it kind of goes off the edge of the table. You don't see it disappear, but you see it slide off the edge of the table towards Stuart's body. Now the whole time this is happening, Stuart's, just to remind people, his, his wrists are restrained by these cable ties. On the thinnest part of his wrist, there's no way he can slide out of them. They also go through a loop underneath the chair, which really locks them in place. And nobody can slide them out. So Stuart's locked yeah, in I've and he's got his... I've examined also. that, folks, with my own eyes and, and, and I've yeah. felt it myself. And I've seen the bizarre thing that happens when he does get released from the cable ties and heard and then seen the process of him being retied by impossible means. I've seen all of this. So yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Yeah, so just to tell you what that hand feels like and then we can, we can ask yeah, any questions. That you, yeah, it felt, it, and it always pretty much, and sometimes the hand, one time it had a sleeve on it, by the way, and, and there's other times where there's been a child's hands materialized, but it's usually Walter. So what it felt like to me was extremely soft skin, like a baby skin, which I thought later that really makes sense to me because this is brand new skin. This is like being materialized in that moment. And it was as soft as it could possibly be, yet it was a large male hand and it had all the features of a regular hand, the knuckles, everything was completely normally human, but it was extremely soft and it was extremely warm to my touch. That was the only way that it sort of distinguished itself and very large, much bigger than my hand, much bigger and thicker than Stuart's hand too. Stuart has kind of a thinner, thin hand. This was a very stocky hand. Let's see your you hand, know. Stuart. <laughs> hold up your hand. Yeah. No, no, don't move. Just hold it, hold it up like this so we can see it. Yeah. Yeah. See that? It's a thin. That's if you, yeah, if you hold it close to the camera, it kind of looks gigantic like this, but his hand is yeah, like this. Move it closer to your face, Stuart. Okay. And it's hard to position it, but the point is this was a stocky, kind of stubby 
it had kind of thick stubby fingers you know right very warm and very soft a man's yeah. hand in other words yeah well, it was we're, large we're gonna we're gonna talk about what it feels like to hold a hand like that in just a moment but free dreamlanders i love you and i want you to subscribe so badly and it's time to say goodbye and subscribers will keep right on keeping on you've been listening to dreamland be sure to tune in again next week dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers our theme music is the o of pleasure by ray lynch unknown country was founded by ann streber our news editor is matthew frizzell our coordinator is amy safrankova whitley streber is your dreamland host and i'm your announcer ted alexander